Hello 49er fans and those of you who are still faithful fans. I don't blame any of you that aren't. Uh, this is 49ers fangirl Tracy joined as always by SoCali Steph. Hi Steph. Hey Tracy, how are you? Oh, I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. <laughs> I mean at this point, it's, it's like copacetic. Um, we are joined today by a very special guest. We have Ryan Burns who is the founder, the host, and the executioner of football sickness, and he is also a diehard Cleveland Browns fan. Welcome, Ryan. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm, I'm glad to be joined somewhere where uh, where the misery is at least as good as mine. <laughs> oh yes, I think um, misery loves company. I've I've been saying over and over again the Browns can't possibly be worse than the 49ers. That Monday night game was just a total fluke. Um, and it makes no sense, except as we watch the Rams, I guess it does make some sense. Someone had to win that game. Um, so it's been a mess for both of our teams. This te season has been a disaster. But as much as us 49er fans have been complaining, and understandably so, I imagine, Ryan, being a Browns fan, this is kind of par for the course. Yeah, and I think it's probably, for me at least, a matter of age and perspective and, and calming down about it on a Sunday night because I've just gotten to the point where it's a, in some ways liberating because I'm no longer at Sunday at 5 just raging upset that my football team lost because I've expected it for the last, well, decade and a half, really. But yeah, it's, um, it's not been a good run. It was, it was fun as a kid, not so much now. Yeah, and it's uh, it's not been a very good run these last couple of years for the 49ers, and it seems to be getting worse by the second. Um, so is it just that you get used to it, or is it just that you get older and you're like, well, it's just a game. It's really not that big a deal. Help us, Ryan, please. I, I, for me, it was both. Um, it was a little of both. You just get so... At some point, you, you start to see it coming, right? You know what a good team looks like, and you know what a good organization looks like like and how they behave in the offseason and what a, what a draft is supposed to go like and eventually you start to see that well these guys don't have a clue at all now for me it's a little different than what the Niners have gone through because the Browns have just at least since they returned after having moved to Baltimore in, in 96 once they returned in 99 it's basically just been we fire everybody every year or two or three <laughs> at most and so you really just don't have any idea whether any of these people had a plan or could have executed the plan or any of it so for the most part it's just been um, ownership debacle upon ownership debacle and I, I do understand that there is at least somewhat of a similarity going on there in, uh, in Northern California. And Steph, we've had we've had Amy Trask on the podcast, and she yeah. says something on Twitter that I think is interesting. When you make the decision to fire um, and move forward, that like Ryan saying with a plan, that you say, okay, I'm going to fire Jim Harbaugh, and then, and I think from what we've seen, <laughs> it seems clear to me there has been no and then. Um, what do you think about that, Steph? Well, it's interesting because. When you think that there was this, whatever it was, this disagreement or the cold shoulders in the whole, you know, Harbaugh bulky era, that Jed York made a decision to keep had all the confidence in the world for, with Balky. And they're very tight and close. And, you know, I think he really felt that he kind of put all his eggs in that basket. And so I really believe that they felt that it was... 
and I've said this before, I think that they believed it was a coaching problem and they thought that the personnel was 100% there and it had nothing to do, it was just coaching deficits. So that's what I think he believed. So I don't think Jed York wants to lose. I know that I'm going against the grain. I think people think, oh, it's all about money. But I really do believe he felt like he was making the decisions um, correctly. I think that he 100%, you know, had his, you know, support with Balky. And he felt like he had the roster. And he gave them a new stadium. He gave them state-of-the-art facilities. And Harbaugh didn't execute it now if they would have you know given him more time or at least let him go to this end of his contract I think it would have been a different story but when you know there was a lot of things that transitioned and I think there was a short window for the 49ers to actually make that Super Bowl win happen and it didn't happen and there's a lot of things that have changed but I don't I don't think him as an owner wants to lose I mean he's said on the record that he wants to win a Super Bowl every year which is a little like delusional but I don't I, I don't think it's all about the money I just don't think he knows who to put in charge and how to do it well I think he values things obviously loyalty is very important but you don't, and I, we've said this before on this podcast, you don't have to give everyone the key to the castle. You can put someone in charge. You know, he may not find another Trent Balky that he trusts implicitly with his life, which is what it seems to be, but you can still have a good, solid GM that you can work with and that you know will do a good job with your team that doesn't have to be your best friend who, you know, who is like the most important person in your life, which obviously he's probably not the most important person in his life. But you know what I'm saying? Like I think that's something that you have to, as an owner, get used to, is not everyone is going to be your best friend and closest confidant, but they don't need to be. That's not not their job. Um, Ryan, I feel like what do you see with that in the Browns? Well, it's not totally dissimilar but, but where it gets different, is, to me, let me just back up, because I don't think there's any way Jed York wants to lose. I mean, if you, if you look at the pictures that kid has, of, and I say kid because now I'm super old, but when you look at the pictures <laughs> of that guy growing up on the sidelines with Joe Montana, I, just, I have a hard time believing that the, the kid who was there with Eddie D and watched Joe and watched Bill Walsh go win a bunch of championships is in this just to line his pockets, which are already so ridiculously lined that, you know, you could never reach the bottom of them. So I think both owners desperately want to win. I'm just not sure, you know, that you can you can look at the evidence they've presented and suggest that they really know what they're doing. I mean, it, it's a little bit similar for the Browns in that Haslam, Jimmy Haslam came from, you know, he comes from a, a big, extremely old money, extremely old involvement Tennessee family. His father... I think was the governor of the state for several terms. His brother, um, or sorry, his brother is the governor of the state. His father ran that trucking company, the Flying J, that they now uh, that they now run across the country. And obviously, that's a whole other sideshow story um, with with fraud investigations and so on. But but Haslam was a member of the Pittsburgh Steelers ownership group for a few years, and so he's seen it done the proper way too. I mean, if if you looked at the model organization that the Niners were in, say the years that that Jed York was growing up around it, and the Pittsburgh Steelers in the years that Jimmy Haslam was there. I mean, both of them got to see mo truly model franchises, teams that did things over and over the right ways. And I, I just I think it just speaks to how hard it is to 
mimic that and then to recreate it in another organization because really the Niners are an entirely different organization now than they were then in part forced by league rules that they caused because they were so good and the Browns are an entire literally an entirely different organization because the real Browns are in effect the Ravens um, so to me I, I just think all it speaks to is it's really hard it's really hard to put together an organization whose goal is to build a football team of 53 guys who have to go out and play football every week when you're talking about turning players over every few, you know, you're going to turn over the whole roster every few years. A lot of teams are turning over front offices every few years. And if you look around the league at the teams that get it right, there tends to be a sort of pattern of stability. And the bottom line is, unless everyone is aligned, meaning they think the same way, they're rowing in the same direction, eh, and by think the same way, I don't necessarily mean on every question. I just mean that philosophically they are aligned. I mean, it's the same It's the same with any business or any kind of organization that requires a bunch of human beings to coalesce around a goal. There's got to be an alignment. And I think with both teams, um, you've probably just seen misalignment over the past several years. Certainly with the Browns, I can speak to that. Yeah, that's exactly what it's been. Um, with the Niners, it sure seemed like that, at least from afar, uh, with Bauke and Harbaugh, and part of it, maybe just Harbaugh is a sort of a difficult guy who's not going to be in one spot for too long. I think there's truth to that. I think there's truth to they they gave too much, you know, weight to to Bauke, and then there's weight to or there's too much truth to um you know to to Jork not necessarily Jork Jed York not necessarily <laughs> knowing what he's doing. So I think it's sort of an amount you know it's a conglomerate of factors that that leads to results that are not always. You know what you're looking for in a, in a in an enterprise where it's actually a really hard thing to do in the first place. And, and I would agree with you. And I think Steph and I have talked about this before. J- uh, Jim Harbaugh is not entirely you know innocent in this situation. I think Jim Harbaugh is very difficult. We've seen everywhere he's been by the yeah. end of his tenure, they are like good riddance. Um, but I think the problem is is how it was handled was so poor that I think it made it difficult. At least this is totally this is totally my opinion, but it makes it difficult to get other quality people in the organization. I think that's kind of the problem. I think everyone knows Jim Harbaugh is difficult, but he's a talented winning football coach. So if it's the point is winning, then that's important. Um, and the whole winning with class thing was so ridiculous because you're blaming. I mean, the whole, it's like, and it's become, of course, the punchline. Um, and then you're you're blaming the coach for players getting in trouble, but the coach didn't put those players in place. And every one of those players had issues before they were 49ers, and it was the general manager who decided to overlook those issues. Um, and football's a business, and it's about winning. And I'm not criticizing him for that, but this whole. No, it's not just important to win. It's important to win with class. And if we didn't win a Super Bowl this year, then he's not good enough. The whole thing was handled so poorly, it puts a real taint on the organization, in my opinion. That sounds exactly like what I saw from, you know, a, a fan from the outside. That's what it looked like. I mean, it looked like a bumbling front office who wanted to get rid of their coach and found, you know, found sort of ways to back into it from a public perception standpoint when they should have just said this isn't working and I'm the owner and the the longer term decision is for the front office to remain together because I have confidence in it and I have confidence that much like we found Jim Harbaugh we can find another coach which I suppose in a way is sort of what he said Um, but that's sure not how it came off it came off sort of how you said it (laughs) yes in this mutual Uh, party of ways people they 
did. You know, I mean, Chip Kelly to me was was at least interesting. But once you start to see, I have far too much familiarity with Jim O'Neill from his two seasons as Browns defensive coordinator. And so my tweets are, uh, you can go back and look the day you guys hired him. It was extensively critical because I just had no idea what he could have possibly hoped to get out of Jim O'Neill, who had just authored two of the worst defensive seasons I have ever seen watching football. Um, to have Chip Kelly, who needs a strong defensive coordinator to compliment him, um, hire that guy. I just That was the moment when I knew it was not going to go well, however long this part of the experiment was going to last. And then, Steph, that... It kind of brings, I think, an interesting point for us fans and maybe a little bit of what I was saying. Like, was Jim O'Neill the best they could get? I mean, is you know, Steph and I talk about this like week after week. Do we? And I, I actually do like Chip Kelly, and I, I would like to say that, and I'd like to see him get another year. But if there's, you know, other change in the organization. But is Jim O'Neill, is that where they're at? Where Jim O'Neill, who seems like a very nice person, so I feel bad saying this, but is this like the best they got? that's who they hired, that's who they could get. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's all that would come and work for Jed at that point. Who knows? You know, it's just, it's weird. And then also with O'Neal, like, I can't, like, the roster really, there's only so many permutations that you can make as a defensive coordinator, and there's just not a lot of talent defensively. And when, you know, we lost Bowman, and, you know, of course, like, everybody... the, the secondary was probably like the one thing that wasn't awful on our team, but you know, seeing that, like, I just think that um, you know, I don't know. It's like I can't really like hammer the guy to death because I don't know what else he's gonna do. Well, because he has, he does not have particularly strong. He doesn't have any talent. Personnel. No, he doesn't. He does not have any talent. I think what's what I've noticed, and this could also be because there's lack of talent and because. There's injury after injury, though I think bad teams end up with injury after injury because, well, for all the obvious reasons. But um, it's just that I feel like this defense has looked utterly confused multiple games, um, and I feel like that's on Jim you O'Neill. Don't say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that. I think is on Jim O'Neill. Um, I think that's what it is. They don't. They just don't look prepared. Now, none of them look prepared. In fairness to Jim O'Neill, the entire team looks unprepared. And I also think at this point, this entire team would like to pack their bags and go home, um, which I don't blame them, and I don't think it's a bad idea before anybody else gets hurt. But they just looked from day one. Okay, not day one. From day two, (laughs) entirely unprepared and confused. And, you know, it's easy, of course, to be a Monday morning quarterback, but... When you're playing the Seahawks, when you're playing the Panthers, when you're playing the Cardinals, I mean, you know who the guys are, and they seem to not know who the guys are. That's what's confusing to me. Yeah, it's pretty awful. <laughs> I mean, it is pretty <laughs> awful. And I'm just, it's my, funny. My I'm, sympathies. I, and I'm thinking. I've lived with it for two years, and you just described it perfectly. So, sorry, Steph, go ahead. Um, no, it's, it's actually funny. Our teams, you know, we think about it. The Harbaugh stuff started in February of 2014 when there was the rumor they were going to trade him to Cleveland. Do you remember that? I do remember that. And, and there was actually, supposedly there was, a, at least from the Browns angle, what I know about it, there, there was some truth to it. Uh, you know, I don't know how, how far down that path they actually got in the discussions, but I know that the guys that were running the Cleveland front office we're trying to do it. That that happened. Um, so it, 
kind of amazing to me that, that in, in this day and age, or at least in that day and age, a few years back, um, that, that that was even still an option. Although I guess they're talking about it now with Sean Payton too, so who knows? Uh, who knows with training coaches? But yeah, Harbaugh would have been fun. I would have preferred Harbaugh to, well, we'll see about Hugh Jackson. <laughs> I would have preferred, preferred Harbaugh to any of the guys in the interim, though. And yesterday, Steph, I don't know if, if you saw this or Ryan, if you saw this, Matt Miller said on Twitter that he would much rather be the Browns than the 49ers, that they are in way better shape for the future. Mm. Uh, well, I think we'll see. <laughs> They're certainly stocked with, you know, they've got a ton of draft picks. They've drafted, in my opinion, some good young players this past draft. Their first draft, and, you know, people forget, people forget it's hard because you've had 14 different GM coach combinations <laughs> in the past 10 years. But this group has only been together a year. And quite frankly, the people they drafted at the top of their draft um, have all looked pretty decent and, and in some cases have flashed really excellent abilities. So we'll, we'll see. I know that sounds crazy when you're on 14, but um, <laughs> th- those first few guys they drafted have contributed. And more importantly, at least to me, from a tear it down and rebuild it from the studs standpoint, is these guys have all gotten a ton of reps as first-year players who were 21, 22 years old and in in my view, those are things that you just got to have and that there's no shortcut around um, as a team and as an organization. You have to have a core of talented players who have been grown under a system and a, a methodology of doing things uh, for it to work. And, and so I'm hopeful that the owner will at least be, you know, have a modicum of patience with this particular experiment because I like as bad as Owen 14 looks i got to tell you, this 0-14 does not feel as bad as some of the 2-14s and the 3-13s and the 4-12s that this organization has subjected me to for the past several years. So, honestly, for me, it's, it's finally they're doing what I think they've always needed to do, and they're doing it wholesale. And so now the question is just, do they have the patience to sit on it and, and let the process play out? And, of course, the, the double-edged sword there, as we can see from Jacksonville, there's no guarantee that it works out if you're patient. But I can almost assure you that it will not if you do not. Well, and I think that brings up a good point. And Steph, I think, and maybe that's what Matt was trying to say, because I don't feel like, and Steph, I want to get your opinion on this, that we have a group of talented core young players that are at least getting reps. We have some. I'm not saying we don't don't. We don't, I mean, I think DeForest Buckner, yes. Rashard Robinson, yes. Um, But I don't. It's not like I'm looking at this team and, like, there's a lot of talent there that just needs to blossom. There's a lot of shoulda, coulda, wouldas. There's a lot of veterans. And there are some young players. But I'd love your opinion on that. Well, and that's what I've kind of tried to, you know, the, uh, say a lot of times is there are young, you know, like Jaquaski Tart is a good one. I think Jimmy Ward has shown, like, some really, like, highlighted you know, plays, and he's, you know, had some really good moments, and he's, they're all getting reps, and that's something that's great, because it's, you know, it's something you have to, you know, kind of learn the game, and learn NFL, and learn how to play that team, but it's, it's just not enough, I mean, if, I mean, I think we're looking at the same thing as the Browns, and I think we're seeing that it's going to have a total rebuild, but I don't see, like, one leader that they, build upon like when in the past you know we had like Justin Smith and Frank Gore and all those people that you know you could kind of build around and um and now we just don't have that same 
I don't know. I don't see one person that we can build around, like as a leader. And so I think we needed some. I think we needed some veterans too on the 49ers. And we, you know, we had Tory Smith, and we had, um, you know, we have a few people that. But it's just not. It's just not the same. You know, they're not life 49ers, and they're not you know, really backing the organization like we would want to see, you know. I mean, they'd probably be gone soon. So I don't I don't know if I'm as uh, optimistic as Ryan is, but I think there's some similarities, but it's, it's just not good. And this, <laughs> I feel like the 49ers, you hit it, they're desperate for leadership. I mean, every week there is a new person doing the pregame huddle. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's almost like every week they're like, um, you try. You haven't had a chance yet. I think you should try this week. And also, and maybe, Ryan, maybe you know stuff, maybe you know this. I don't know. Every week, they're also new team captains. Is that normal? I think it's just a team-by-team team thing. Yeah, it sort of depends. Okay. Uh, I, I know, like, if you, the Browns, I think, picked, like, season-long ones, and then there have been guys that have gone out individual games, but I, I, I honestly think it's just the coach can sort of do whatever they want to do. Like, if you remember Jeff Fisher, might as well talk about good old Jeff this week, but he's, uh, you know, a few years ago when they played the Redskins right after the RG3 trade, Fisher sent all the players that he had drafted with the picks he'd received in exchange for the pick that the, the Skins had used on RG3 as his captains in that game. So I, I think you can basically do whatever you want with the captains. But interesting if we if our examples are Jeff Fisher right. and the current 49ers. I mean, I would think maybe this is just like a very high school mentality, but I would think like to me that shows a lack of leadership on a team. If every week, and maybe I'm that could be totally wrong on that, um, but to me that shows like a lack of leadership on a team. But I could be wrong. I would have to do more research into every team's team captains every week, and I'm going to be honest, I'm probably not going to do it. So I'm <laughs> just going to have to keep my opinion on that. Um, so, Ryan, do you have any tips for us, things we can do? I've done, like, a couple videos on ways to enjoy the game, no matter how the team plays. But for kind of long term, what, what can you say to us 49er fans? Well, I, I assume that heavy drinking is already part of the, the <laughs> philosophy, so I'll leave that one aside. Um, but I've done drinking it, it, and yoga. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, and, and, you know, of course, eating your troubles is always a good plan. So that, that's what I do on a Sunday is I tend to just eat a lot. But um, the short answer is I have always, I guess, fancied myself a fan of the game before being a fan of my team. And so that's that's made it a little bit liberating for me is that, you know, when, when I know my team is going to be bad, there is no need to pretend I don't know what I... That, this is just good life advice. <laughs> we have to live in the world as it exists. We cannot pretend that the world is some other way. So while I would like to get up at, you know, whatever hour on a Sunday morning and get really hyped up to watch a game that mattered with my team that would compete, that's not the world I live in today. I would also like to go across the street to the, you know, to the PIMCO building here in Newport and relieve them of all their money. I don't get to do that one either. Um, so I, I think the answer is, number one, spend some time watching other teams if you can. Because <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. if your team's terrible, you're, you're, not, you're not forced to sit there for all 60 minutes or four hours, as the case may be. You know, I, I watch 
a lot of red zone. I, I have the you know the picture in picture. I'll have two TVs going. So that's part of it is I just watch the rest of the league. Fantasy football has helped me not stress about the Browns so much because clearly my GM uh, my GM skills have been better than those of the Browns for the past <laughs> 15 years. So um, those two things, and then I think part of it is just I've gotten older. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm about to be 42, and other things matter more. And when the Browns become good again, I am sure I will be a, a lunatic, face painting, gung ho idiot. But for the moment. Uh, I have to take it as it comes, and I, I like football more than I like the Browns, and so I just try and take solace in. All right, it's football season; it's not necessarily Brown season. So I wish I had, I wish I had something smarter to you know and, and more foolproof. But basically, it's just you need to. The best way for me is to understand who your team is, and that way you won't be surprised and devastated when they're not good. I think that makes sense. I have found myself, and it pains me because I spent so much of my life hating the Dallas Cowboys, but I have found myself oddly invested in Dak Prescott and his future. I just like, I think it's just, it's where, it's where we are, but I watch these games and I think it's just, I like love the idea of this. You had these two picks one and two who were going to be the hotshot quarterbacks, even though personally I never felt that that was necessarily going to be the case. I have slightly more faith in Carson Wentz. And then here comes Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott and I'm, they're fun to watch, and good for them. So I've become high, like oddly invested in Dak Prescott's future. I like the Raiders. <laughs> so I Great. Oh I know. You both are I just know. losing all your popularity today. You're just throwing it completely into the lake. I don't think we can be blamed. I, I mean, at least nobody said Seahawks. <laughs> no, no, I'll grant you. I'll grant you. But, yeah. like, I grew up hating the Raiders. I mean, I'm, you know, Bay Area native, and, you know, it was just either or, and, like, it was just, and I would, I went to one Raider game in my whole life, and I wore blue, because I didn't want to wear black, and someone started cursing at me and calling me a 49er fan, because they <laughs> could see me a mile away, they had blue on. So I, but now seeing them, and, you know, they both fired their coaches and kind of had that rebuild when Harbaugh left and then they fired and the difference and seeing how they have put that team together and seeing how they've used free agency. Like they got Kalitia Simile, they got all the people I wanted the 49ers to get. They got, you know, of course they got Crabtree and seeing him with the fade to the end zone. Oh oh my gosh. Like breaking my heart. It like brings back all those like, oh my gosh, you know, like how close we did come to that. So it's been fun for me to watch the Raiders. I mean, I don't hate them as much, but I've gotten older too. So maybe I just don't care like about the rivalry so much as I used to. But yeah, I I don't, I don't like the Cowboys. I don't love the Raiders. I don't love the Seahawks. It's just, it's hard to get like upset about a rivalry when one team is so bad. It's not like, it's not a rivalry. (laughs) Like, it's just not. Right. Like, the 49ers and Seahawks was, became such a great rivalry because they were the two best teams in the NFC. And arguably at that time, they were the two best teams. I mean, I think the year of that, of the NFC Championship game in Seattle, I mean, that was the Super Bowl. So, because as we saw at the actual Super Bowl, was not anything competitive. So, that's what made that rivalry so great. Like, now, I still hate the Seahawks, but whatever. <laughs> like, who cares? You know, like, who cares? And yeah. I guess it's kind of, you know, how I feel about, you know, the Cowboys. I agree. The Ra- and the Raiders are fun to watch. I mean, I it's, it's, like, very fun. And I have a couple of um, 
I have Crabtree on my fantasy team, and I would agree with you, Ryan. Fantasy football um, helps a lot, and I'm also I'm doing very well this year in fantasy football. So, well, unlike the 49ers, last year I went, I finished in last place, and this year so far I'm in first place. So. Nice. Worst to first. Worst to first, and so I feel like my GM skills. I learned. I feel like I learned a lot, and I applied what I learned. Unlike my actual football team. You have so. those 49ers probably on your team. I have Phil Dawson, and <laughs> that's it. Phil. Yeah. No. Another thing we have in common. Phil was our guy for a decade. Oh, yeah. Yes. A lot of yeah. similarities between these two teams. A lot of similarities, for better or worse. Yeah. I wish there was one more and I had five Lombardies to remember, but oh, such yeah. is life. Such is life. That's true. We do have yeah. that going for us. Yeah. Growing up was great. Like, that was, like, awesome growing up, but it's really changed. Those were, those were the best football teams I ever saw. The, I still think that the best team I ever saw was the 89 Niners. It was either them or the 85 Bears. Um, but th- okay. those... Niner teams were just unbelievable with 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 Joe and Jerry and Roger Craig and those guys uh, and and the defense doesn't get nearly enough attention because of the offense but th- those teams were a, a huge part of why I grew up loving football so huge yeah yep well so there's that friends <laughs> we can all think of the eighties back with whist on, <laughs> on the South Dick, yes uh well you know what. This is the beauty of football and being a fan. Hope springs eternal. There's always next season. So, or like five more. <laughs> there's always five years from now. Um, I made a joke earlier this season that Colin Kaepernick's tortoise that could live to be 135 will be the only one of us that lives to see the 49ers in another Super Bowl. And I feel that that is true. I stand by that statement. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today. This was fun. Oh, no, this fun. was great. I really appreciate you having me. Absolutely. And Steph, thank you as always. And uh, when this airs, it's Steph's birthday. Uh, happy birthday. Okay, <laughs> so I'm not really excited about it. Well, I am. Because, Steph, I got to be excited about something this week. <laughs> Your birthday okay. and Christmas. Um, all right, everybody, we will talk to you next time. Go Niners. And you know what? More importantly, go Browns. I would love to see the Browns. Sneak your way into that first pick. (laughs) Keep it. Ryan, good luck these next two weeks. I'd love to see you guys finish two at 14. (laughs) Nothing would make me happier. I'm a bigger Browns fan right now than a 49ers. I know. I get more. I see the Browns. (laughs) When I see the Browns lose, I'm like, oh, man. (laughs) Shoot. (laughs) This weekend's probably your best chance, so root hard. You're rooting. Go Browns. All right, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.